Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting edition of the Two Buck Sports Podcast, your premier destination for all things Southern sports. I'm your co-host, Buckets, here with my buddy, Uncle Buck. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Glad to see you tonight. Man, are you glad to see me? Because here I am. We're getting ready for a new college baseball season starting this Friday. And uh, as you're wearing... uh, you're supporting your Mississippi State Bulldogs, uh, the team that finished last in the West last year. I'm supporting the defending champions of the College World Series, uh, the team that dominated Omaha with only one loss. And um, I have the hat to prove it. And so we're going to dig into that as we get on into the podcast. We're going we're gonna to start our baseball coverage uh, tonight. But, uh, man, it is good to see you. And so I went a whole week without seeing you in person. And so I feel like life's getting back, you know, spinning on its axis again. <laughs> yeah, I was unable to grace you with my presence again, but at least you get to see me virtually tonight. I know you've been looking forward to that. And yes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you think Drew has been insufferable about his Ole Miss Rebels thus far, just wait till baseball season starts because the over under is a thousand on how many times that gets brought up for the next four or five months. <laughs> hey, you know better than anybody. You can win a national championship and turn to trash within a year. So. Absolutely, just take a victory lap, man. We just yeah. we just took a victory lap and, and so, <laughs> enjoyed it. Uh, forgive me if I enjoy it while I can. So. <laughs> That's smart. You probably should have enjoyed mine a little bit more, especially when knowing that my uh, now knowing that my bitter rival follow us up winning that national championship. Winning that national it, championship. Can he it say was, it? It was just the a special form. That's like a a Russian level interrogation, like torture for y'all, for us to win it one calendar year after you did. Like there was absolutely no room at all to hold it over our head. You got one year. Yeah. I got COVID and Ole Miss won a national championship in the same weekend. (laughs) (laughs) In the same weekend. That tells you how it went. And, you know, you win. 50 years from now, when you guys look back at your College World Series and you're saying, you like Tennessee Vol fans, you know, it feels like 2001, you know, <laughs> or 2021. I'll always be able to say, well, we won one more recently than you did. <laughs> well, we won it first. And we all know that first is what matters. If you ain't first, yeah. you're last. So, <laughs> yeah. Some people, uh, nobody brags about their first wife, they brag about their current wife. <laughs> <laughs> you got me with that that's good <laughs> so uh rusty tell the tell the fine listeners what we're drafting today yeah so in honor of drew and i's one of our favorite seasons both of us love college baseball more than most and just about more than any other sport so tonight we thought it'd be appropriate to kind of gear our fans up for the pending baseball season and draft what are the best stadium foods what you enjoy watching a ball game, whether that's at a baseball game, when it's nice and hot, a basketball game, like the whiteout that's happening at the hump tonight with Kentucky coming to play in Mississippi State. Doesn't matter where you're at, there's always a tasty treat that just goes with the sports. Tonight, we're drafting stadium foods. All right. Well, last week we drafted uh, sporting events, and I got to go first. And so, Buckets, it's your turn to go first. So what are you going to take with the number one pick of the stadium foods draft? I mean, it's it's the slam dunk. It's, it's the easy pick. Baseball season is around the corner. Starts Friday night. 
hot dogs. There's nothing like enjoying a hot dog at a baseball game, sun's out, God's beautiful sunshine, you know, out in, in the green grass, left field lounge if you're in Starkville. I like my hot dogs with mustard and sauerkraut. I do like them Chicago style when I'm at Wrigley watching my Cubbies. I think we can agree the hot dogs are good in any which way, except for with ketchup because we're adults here. Don't need to put that stuff on there. Just give me some mustard and kraut or mustard and relish. And I do enjoy a good hot dog at a baseball game. Yeah, that I wouldn't call that a home run. That is a solid double because anyone anywhere can make a good hot dog. Now, hot dogs are synonymous with baseball, and that's what's on our minds right now. You know, I don't know that anybody goes to a football game and orders a hot dog. Have you ever done that? That's fair. No, I haven't. That's that's a fair fair assumption. There's something about the spring and summer and relating that with grilling and you know at for our teams that we root for uh the environment of the baseball games are about family about grillings about being outdoors and then there's also baseball there and so the hot dog just perfectly encapsulates that experience it goes together yeah I would agree with that. I was on a guided duck hunt in 2006 with some guys from, from Casa Youth, and we were hunting up in outside of Dyersburg on Real Foot Lake, and our guide imparted some wisdom on me that kind of resonates here. And he, you know, we were sitting there talking about how good the, the breakfast he made for us was, and it was just, you know, frozen biscuits, frozen sausage, and an egg. I'm like, man, this is so good. Thanks for doing this. He's like, man, it's all about the environment. He said, I could cook my dog's turd right now, and y'all say it's good just because we're in this duck blind. It's the same with a hot dog. <laughs> You're at a baseball game. The hot dog's going to be good, man. It is what it is. It's uh, And maybe this is too simple of a draft, but the 101 in places to eat, like environments in which food's just better, it's around a fire. That's why campfire food is always the best. You can get a Coleman stove out, crack an, uh, a, crack an egg, no salt, no pepper, nothing, and there's just something about being right there that just yeah. tastes better on that Coleman stove beside the fire on a campsite. Yeah, absolutely. We've spent enough time on your lame pick. Uh, my <laughs> first pick, the second pick of the first round, I am going to go with another ballpark classic. And it's one that is as synonymous with baseball as a hot dog. And it is pop. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't even, I'm getting it mixed up already. I'm getting excited. I'm getting ahead of myself. It is peanuts, and peanuts are great. Again, it's not, it's not an every, it's not for every venue, because in order to have peanuts, you've got to be able to throw the shells on the ground, and that's why it makes perfect sense at a baseball game. You're outdoors, you can eat peanuts for nine innings and never get full and never get tired of them, and so, uh, uh couple that with a nice cold Coca Cola you know, as you know, the old timers would do. Um, <laughs> there's just not many combinations better. Yeah. I don't disagree that the salty peanuts are always good on a hot day and great on the beach, but way better at a ball game. So peanuts is a solid choice. And you're right. Shout out for calling out the peanuts in the shell. Like don't give me the little already pre-cracked salty ones. Those are fine for a road trip, but right. in a ball game, I want the peanuts. I got to crack. Oh yeah. No, that, they don't even sell those at games. And that's because they know the, the consumer has spoken. Don't even stock those uh, pre-shelled, pe- lazy yeah. peanuts at a ball game. Make me work for it. Yeah. And miss me with that. And um, call me crazy if you like, but I also like to lick the lick the shell a little bit, get that little salty flavor with my peanuts. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't stick the whole thing in my mouth like an imbecile, <laughs> but I do like to get a little of that salty flavor. But. I mean, you do watch baseball at Swayze Field, so that explains a whole lot. Yeah, see, there you, there's your hating again. So, um, my next pick, the first pick of the second round, oh, yeah. Yeah. is going to be nachos. And this is kind of a throwback to when I grew up going to football games at Ole Miss. They had a Corky's barbecue stand right there in the stadium. And it's every halftime of every game, I was going to get barbecue nachos from Corky's. It's just pulled pork, that soft serve nacho cheese that they, I guess, comes pre-cubed. And, you know, (laughs) you know exactly what I'm talking about. They have them in every high school gymnasium concession stand ever. Just like a cheese and lava that just squirts out of that. I mean, it's really (laughs) disgusting if you watch it. It is. Uh, but once you hand me the finished product, I'm eating it. And then on top of that, you get the jalapenos and you get that barbecue dust. Uh, mm. It's a 10 out of 10. Uh, if you want to wait in the line at the FedEx Forum, you can get Rendezvous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would recommend it. Uh, I just don't like to miss the game time. So yeah, that's my uh, second pick is barbecue nachos. Yeah, solid pick. I used to eat them at AutoZone in, in Memphis when I was going to Redbirds games, the $5 bluff tickets. Uh, you could eat your barbecue nachos, watch the game from a grassy knoll on a blanket. It was a good time on a Friday night in Memphis, and barbecue nachos made it that much better. So that's a good Absolutely. pick, man. Jealous of that. All right. Um, with the second pick of the second round, I'm also going to throw back, since baseball has been a thing, and you this is, a, this is not just specific to baseball, because I've eaten this next snack at football games in Nashville in – uh, basketball games in Memphis. Like I've eaten this all over and I eat it at home on my couch. I love fresh pop popcorn and it is synonymous with baseball ever since it's been around. There's, there's pictures from the tens and twenties when baseball started people eating popcorn, watching from the, from the cheap seats out there. I love popcorn, man, especially in the old time, be popcorn makers, a little pot that'll dump over when it's ready. That's how popcorn should be made. Give me popcorn when I'm watching any ball game, right? Any ball game, at any movie theater, yeah. at any night of the week on my in my recliner, you know, yeah. that's my bedtime snack. If I'm a little snacky, yeah. and I know it's not good, because unlike your um, Simply Popcorn or whatever you called it the other day when we were doing road trips, my popcorn is not healthy. Uh, when On the cases in which my wife and I don't go to the grocery store with the whole family, I instruct her to go find the butteriest popcorn you can find and buy that, because Absolutely. I'm not... You know, miss me with all the, you know, the plain popcorn that my grandma used to eat. You know, the only reason why they ate that is because, you know, they had some corn left over and they were poor. (laughs) No, we can afford it. Get the butter. Yeah, I like the extra butter, the movie theater butter. Give me those that I can pop on my couch. Popcorn is is a solid ballgame food. Uh, next up, uh, maybe a little more specific to warmer weather sports, uh, although I have seen them at the FedEx Forum. I have seen them at different places, but when it's hot at a baseball game, the first time I ever had one was Wrigley Field in Chicago. It was a warm day playing the Astros, and I needed something to cool me off that was kind of sweet, sour, the Minute Maid frozen lemonades. The yellow one, they come with a little paper cup with a wooden spoon. I can crush one of those in a heartbeat when it's hot. Minute Maid frozen lemonade is the first pick of the third round. Uh, that's a solid pick. Uh, it's a pick that would be made first overall by anybody under 12, you know. So, uh, we all know I'm love, a big kid, man. You you just call it ice cream. They're in. You know? uh, but, yes, 
it's good. I don't prefer that as much because it seems like every time I get it, you have to chip it away with a chisel. Uh, but I guess you just leave it out long enough and it it's good. It. I do love a frozen lemonade drink. You know, you can get uh, at carnivals and stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a little uh, slushy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me a slushy. You know, I'm good with that. Um, so yeah. So um, I'm going to turn this around here. Uh, I'm going to go with another favorite of mine. And what I found when I was compiling this list is that pretty much any food that I just love in general, I can get at a ball game. And so my next my next pick is pizza. Uh, and if I want to get specific, uh, there's a pizza joint in the FedEx Forum that is incredible. Uh, you go and get a, it's a spicy pizza. It's got uh, Italian sausage and onions and peppers and jalapenos on it. It's incredible. But like I've told you before, when we talk about game day foods, when he drafted it, there's just nothing better than pizza because you don't need a plate. You just eat it by hand. There's no mess. You just get a piece of pizza and a napkin and you have a whole meal and you don't have to worry about anything else. And on top of that, pizza's incredible. Everybody loves pizza. Yeah. Pizza's hard. Even, even bad pizza is still good pizza. So that's a solid pick. No matter where you eat pizza, it's going to be a good, good, good treat. So, Pizza's a solid pick. And uh, so now I'm, I'm thinking, because I'm running a little short here. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think back. It's hard when it comes to convenience. You know, I and that's what you get out of all game day foods, is you're going to get something that you can carry with you. And so... That's why I'm going to go with just the standard American cheeseburger because you don't have to have like, okay. So if, if the burger comes with fries on a tray, like, no, just give me two burgers. Give me, I'll stick them in my pockets. You know, like I don't, I don't need the extra thing that I can spill or knock over or, you know, make a big mess out of. Just give me two cheeseburgers, one for each pocket. I'll go up to the stands and I'll munch down and watch baseball. You know, it's all about convenience with me. Now, if it's a bad cheeseburger, you know, then I'll I'll pivot, you know. But if it's a solid cheeseburger and you know you've got to give it you've got to give it a shot the first time. Sometimes you don't know, so mm-hmm. you just gotta give it a shot. And so you may just buy one cheeseburger at that point. But once you find out you got a solid cheeseburger, then you just load your pockets up with cheeseburgers, <laughs> go, go up to the cheap seats where I sit, because way, way up where I sit, I'm trying to make as few trips down those stairs as possible. <laughs> give me a couple of cheeseburgers, give me a couple of drinks. I'm wearing cargo pants for sure. <laughs> so uh, give me a couple Game cheeseburgers, a couple of drinks, some peanut M&Ms, and uh, we'll, we can sit for a full nine innings. Barring a bathroom break, I'm not moving. <laughs> uh, it is 2023, and Uncle Buck are bringing the cargo shorts back. Let's go. Back. Hey, and you know, in the spring here, you get the kind that you can zip off the bottom half of the leg because it gets chilly at night, you know, but it's yeah, nice during the day, it. you know. So, or if you've got a day game and it turns into night, you zip those things yeah. back on, you know. You tuck those in your back pocket, cheeseburgers in the front pocket. <laughs> You got six pockets on cargo shorts, at least. <laughs> yeah. Solid pick, man. So, so far I got hot dogs, popcorn, frozen lemonade with the second pick of the fourth round. I don't care. You can church them up however you want. Uh, I went to a Mariners game in Seattle one time, and they threw a bunch of garlic and dill on top, and they were they were phenomenal. At the FedEx Forum, I've had, 
Are you drafting crickets? Because <laughs> they sell those at Mariners games. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's it. Right, we ain't going there. Okay. <laughs> you think I'm going to go from Mississippi to, to Seattle to eat crickets? Hey, Come on, man. You know we love to that. live off the land, apparently, up there. Apparently. <laughs> as, well, at the FedEx Forum, I've had them with barbecue on top. At Duty Noble, I had them with chili cheese. No matter how you dress them up, French fries are a phenomenal ball game food. I like the the season, crinkle crut, cut, doesn't matter. French fries are a solid way to enjoy a ball game. Hot, give me ketchup or mustard, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right, but you know, your uh, propensity for making a mess is is very great. You know, won't you oh, just yeah. go get you an ice cream sundae and try to take those up the stairs? <laughs> Listen, man, uh, funny quick story. I was at a Mariners game when I was uh, in college. We were up there for a big conference, and me and a buddy, were, we're up in the cheap seats with the rest of the group, and we go get us some garlic dill fries, and we take the opportunity, you know, it's late in the game, and um, the Mariners and the Rangers are playing. It's back when uh, Ichiro was still on the Mariners. We're like, hey, let's try and sit down behind the dugout and see if we can get away with it. Well, what we didn't know is we sat in the padded seats. There are only like four rows from the dugout. And we both have these massive things of French fries in our lap. And the usher comes down and says, like, hey, boys, can I see your tickets real quick for these seats? And in my infinite wisdom, I was like, hey, we're just here taking a picture real quick. And he goes, uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> politely asked us to move. So we had to leave that section. We went over one section, got smart, and sat about seven rows back and enjoyed the last two innings from seven rows back with our French fries. Hey, as long as you got the fries. Yeah, that's all that matters. And then I'll close out mine uh, with the first pick of the fifth round with kind of a niche thing, but I know a lot of people that enjoy them. Uh, I don't understand the people that necessarily like them plain, but I like the barbecue. I like the salt and pepper. I like the ranch, sunflower seeds. It's kind of in the same vein as peanuts. It gives you something to, to, to play around with, chew on, distract you a little bit. I love sunflower seeds, and I've eaten them at football games, but obviously more of a baseball uh, snack when you're outside like that at a ball game, but I ate them when I played baseball. I eat them when I watch sunflower seeds. Yeah, uh, sunflower seeds are solid, and they're a hobby as much as they are food. You know, like peanuts. You know, <laughs> absolutely. You know, you just it, it seems to uh, to go with the territory. Yeah. I'm gonna wrap mine up with something you can get just about anywhere. I've been to Sam's Club and gotten one. I have been at a carnival and gotten one, been Six Flags, ball games, flea market, anywhere. Go get you a warm pretzel. The mm. bigger, the better. Uh, and, you know, get that liquid cheese with it. <laughs> or, Here we go again. Yeah. So I don't do mustard with my pretzel. Uh, I do love mustard. Um, not as big on just their standard yellow mustard. If you got me some spicy brown in there, I would take it. Um, but given the options, give me that warm plastic liquefied cheese and a salty pretzel. You can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the big grain salt, like the coarse salt on top. It gives that little extra crunch. And let me ask you if I'm crazy. We've talked about doing a segment before, like where you come and be like, okay, I do this. Am I crazy? You know, and I try to get rusty to intro it with singing Gnarls Barkley. Does that make me crazy? <laughs> but he didn't want to do it. So I'll just throw one out here. I love big pretzels. I love big pretzels. I hate the little pretzels. They, they're the worst. It's like the shape of the pretzel makes all the sense, like the size of the pretzel. Because the pretzel sticks, the little thin sticks, they're okay. The actual pretzel that is smaller, you know, that comes in Chex Mix, trash. I hate them. 
Am I crazy? That's not a crazy take. Not a crazy ah, okay, take. Good, no, because because it especially when they're big, they still end up being a little gooey and soft in the middle. Like and when you got the small pretzels, they're all crunchy, hard all the way around. So give me the little small, like the or give me the big ones for the gooeyness in the middle. Okay, thank you, thank you. So uh, that's it. That's our draft. Uh, so Rusty, give me your list, and then I'll give everybody mine. Yeah, so I'll get these posted on our socials as well. So uh, you can interact, give us a, a, a vote on the poll. We appreciate y'all doing that for the interactions for sure. Uh, but my list are is as follows. I got hot dogs in the first round, popcorn in the second, frozen lemonade for my one sweet treat, french fries, and sunflower seeds. And I have peanuts followed by barbecue nachos. And I have hamburgers. And I have pretzels. And what else did I have? Yeah, peanuts, barbecue nachos, pizza, cheeseburger, pretzels. Pizza. Pizza. Come on, I man. didn't do a good job pizza. of writing mine down. I apologize to all my listeners. They're now seeing the level of preparedness that I have tonight. So, um, yeah, so that's my five. And I feel yeah. pretty confident yeah. with my five. So we'll put that up for a vote again this week. And uh, tell us how the vote went last week. Cause... Yeah, I was just about to say, I kind of got, he kind of walked away with last week. And I, I went super niche with mine. I own that, but no excuses. Uh, you kind of dominated in the uh, sporting events category last week. I think it was like seven votes to two, nine votes to two. It was, it was not, it wasn't close. And one of those votes was mine. So yeah, don't give the real numbers. Just say like 60%. We don't need to know there's only nine votes. <laughs> hey, we're getting there though. That was more than some of our early polls. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're a growing podcast poll where me and you were the only ones that voted. So here's a challenge to anybody who's listening to this: go vote. <laughs> vote. <laughs> if you hadn't listen. voted before, go vote. Do your civic duty. <laughs> yeah. Listen to your Hollywood actors and your NBA superstars. Vote. <laughs> if we ever get an NBA superstar to shout out vote on the two bucks sports podcast, I'm retiring from physical therapy. <laughs> For, forget politics vote on the two bucks sports podcast. <laughs> That's the <laughs> real vote that matters. And second Tuesday in November does not matter. You go vote every <laughs> Wednesday on the two bucks sports podcast. So. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, Drew, well uh, speaking uh, of, speaking of the sporting events last week, you, uh, you picked, the greatest sporting event of them all. And I feel like we finally got a Super Bowl that lived up to that, man. You know, been some sleepy ones in the past, but if you watch this one, and I know you did, I, this, I feel like we got our, our money's worth in this Super Bowl. Yeah, I believe it was an incredible football game between two teams that were evenly matched. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, I feel like, I mean, I know what the deciding factor is, and it's something I've talked about in regards to most sports and especially in the playoffs, the team that's been there who's got the scars that, that know how to win, win these games against teams that have not been there before. I left that game thinking that Philly was just as good, if not better. They played incredible on the offensive side of the football today, but they just made too many mistakes. I mean, you had a seven-point swing on Jalen Hurts' fumble, um, and, you know, that stuff happens, and it – you know, it never comes down to one play, just like it didn't come down to the one holding call late in the game. You know, that wasn't the only thing that happened that decided that football game. But it just seemed like you give – everybody knows, you give Patrick Mahomes an inch and he's going to take a mile. And that's what they did again. They showed why they're the master class in the AFC. 
there's no reason why anybody should expect any different, to be honest. And shame on them. They pulled the Georgia thing again where they said nobody expected us to win the division. Like, are you kidding me? Who in their division was ever going to challenge them? Yeah, I mean, they, the there Chargers? was some talk about them. The Raiders? They were talking about Broncos when they first got Russell Wilson, but after week three, it was painfully obvious who was going to win that division. I mean, I guess Andy Reid just learned – I mean, I guess he's one of those old heads who just knows how to push buttons on his team, and and that is necessary. You know, Saban does it. Kirby Smart obviously does it. But to clip out the one thing, you know, I was watching yeah. their parade today, and Travis Kelsey shouted out, I believe it was, was it uh, Booger McFarlane, who mm-hmm. the one guy that said that they weren't going to make the playoffs because they lost Tyreek Hill. And you know those guys are always just trying to find something to – have a controversy about, about on so yeah. so their word means nothing to me but they took it and was like nobody believes in us like dude you're the chiefs you've been to yeah. five straight afc championship games why would anybody think that you wouldn't make it yeah it just and it comes across as just tone deaf read the room yeah man. just Come on. false it's just false <laughs> Yeah, that's all that's all you can say it as, man. And you know, you mentioned Pat Mahomes and he deserves a ton of credit. Travis Kelsey, ton of credit. Chiefs offensive line. Pat Mahomes, the only reason he got his jersey dirty was because he chose to run the football. Like the Chiefs O oh, line played an incredible football game, but not enough credit. Like Andy Reid coached his butt off because early on, Philly was doing everything right. They were moving the football, they were stopping Kansas City, they played a good football game and got a double digit lead. But Andy Reid made some serious adjustments in the first half, and especially at halftime, and that was two different Kansas City football teams. Andy Reid really stepped up. The The Walrus himself made some phenomenal moves. And I don't know if you saw, did you see after the game what Terry Bradshaw said to him? Yeah, oh, remind, remind our listeners. So during the during the post-game celebration, Terry Bradshaw's on the stage interviewing the players, and he looks over at Andy Reid. He says, Andy, hey, Coach Andy, waddle on over here and talk to me. <laughs> yeah, if I was Andy Reid and he said that to me, I would just smack them right across the face. I mean, the level Absolutely. of disrespect you get from winning your second Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. that Terry Bradshaw should be ashamed. I mean, yeah, but um, I did see that, and I was like, come on, you're like 95 yeah. years old. Like, <laughs> This is you're on your way out if you got that much yeah. com- you got that much if you're that carefree about what you're saying on the stage. But I mean, uh, Andy Reid gives him one good hip check and it's over for Terry Bradshaw. Oh my so. goodness, yeah, yeah, <laughs> R.I.P. And so, yeah, yeah I uh, Andy Reid did an incredible job, and you know, there's coaches everywhere that you know don't give them two weeks to prepare. You know, you hear that in bowl season and playoffs. If you give Bill Belichick two weeks, he'll shut you down. He'll you know. Andy Reid belongs in that category now because he looked and he said, Philly plays mostly man. And so yeah. I'm just going to shift. And it was crazy. I was listening to, uh, I don't remember. It was one of the, uh, it was one of the uh, post-game shows. Uh, Scott Van Pelt had on, was it Dan Orlovsky or one of those former quarterbacks? And he said, break this, let me break this down. And it was incredible. So on both of those touchdowns, in the fourth quarter, you know, where they were wide open and they sent both those guys in motion. What they did is with Tony and with Sky Moore, they sent them in motion and it's like Patrick Mahomes was watching the cornerback and the safety. And soon as they started communicating that they're switching coverages, like you're taking him and I'm staying, as soon as they started pointing at each other, he snapped the ball and the receiver went the other way. 
And so it just the cornerback was just you know they were just lost in communication at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was genius and it was total scheme. Like you knew that that was something he had seen before. And it was just easy mm-hmm. cheap touchdowns that you could just yeah. snap your fingers and get. There's no way you were going to cover it. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, give credit man, Jalen Hurts played a phenomenal football game. That throw really and did. catch with a with that eight that AJ Brown touchdown was phenomenal it was an incredible throw aj is one of the probably only four receivers on this planet that can make that adjustment and make that catch well it's because it he's an outfield he was drafted yeah, by the I mean, padres play outfield i mean he 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 ran that ball down like willie mays runs down a ball in yeah. center field he was had it over his shoulder the whole time and just was able to with two defenders behind him negotiate his it way was well covered him. it was right. well covered and you know. and he just made an incredible play on the football. I hate that he's no longer in Titan Blue. I'm, you know, I'm I'm glad to see him have success. Maybe kind of glad he didn't win the Super Bowl because he's not a Titan anymore. But not, not, of, not no his fault fault. Of, his own, of no fault of his yeah. own. But uh, you know, give credit where credit's due. Jalen Hurts just outside of that fumble, like he, he ran the ball appropriately. He threw the ball well. Took care of the football outside of that one fumble and he has nothing to hang his head about had some great post-game comp you know comments to that kid when he asked him about learning lessons and he talked about learning lessons and failure just the more jalen hurts talks and just does things the more i I like that guy he's a a solid guy and uh he's always been even when you saw how he was he was put in those situations in alabama to where he got benched in the national title game for tua but then he kept his good attitude and kept working hard because then his time came back when Tua got hurt in the playoff. And so he got to come back. And then he left and went to Oklahoma. And, man, he's just a stand-up dude. And I felt bad for him because he lost that one ball. And it, that wasn't everything, like I said earlier. But if you take seven points off the board in a game you lose by three, it's kind of hard not to look at yourself and, and beat yourself up about it. Um, what did you think about that holding call? late in the game as a former defensive player especially that's just a ticky call man like so here's the thing by rule is it holding yes he held his arm he held his jersey but that's not how you decide a super bowl i i don't think it was enough of a hold for it to be called a and b juju ain't running that ball down that ball was overthrown by 10 yards he wasn't going to get there regardless i thought it was a bogus call they should have made harris uh harris bucker kick that field goal from probably what 48 50 yards at that point right that's how that that should have ended yeah yeah i didn't like the call but not because it wasn't holding because if that call is made throughout the game that's one of those calls you you know you're talking defensive holding you talk offensive holding if you look at if you watch the offensive line, they're holding every play. Right. And so, same way, there's all that give and take on the outside too with defensive players over wide receivers. There's always that little seeing what all you can get away with. And my problem was that they didn't call a holding penalty or a pass interference or an offensive holding penalty all game long. It was the first one. And so to have it, whereas it is, it is a penalty, but to have it be the only one that's called and you're right i do believe it was uncatchable as well it just if you're going to call it then then call it later because i'm not a guy that beats up the refs over calls that decide games if you call those same calls throughout the game because if you're calling them strict throughout the game 
then the defensive players know you got to play, play extra careful. But if you let them go all game, don't call it at the very end. Now, I've yeah. always given refs an out on play, you know, on game deciding penalties, because if you call them all game, then you know that's a penalty. Penalty is a penalty. But if you're not going to call them all game, don't call them at the very end. Yeah, by rule, like you said, it was holding, but they've been letting them play. They played physical. There was a lot of contact at the line of scrimmage and beyond on the receivers, uh, on Travis Kelsey or Dallas Goddard when they were actually covered because both those guys were open all night long. Um, it, it just – I agree. It was not the right timing because it had been a physical game where they let them play all night. Don't call it right then and, and, and you know finish the game that way. And A.J. Brown, God, I love him so much. Because uh, Juju thought he was going to get cute today, and uh, put the or yesterday and put the Valentine's Day gift out there uh, with the defensive player and said, uh, "I'll hold you when it matters most." And AJ Brown just roasted him on Twitter. I'm sure you saw it, but I'm going to read it to you because I love it so much. If I if I couldn't love AJ Brown more, he tweet he responded to Juju, said, first off, congratulations, y'all deserve it." Okay, he's going to be nice. Mm-hmm. Nope. This is like <laughs> you was on the way out the league before Mahomes resurrected your career on your one year deal, TikTok boy. He admitted that he grabbed you. Don't act like you like that or ever was, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> he called him TikTok boy. And yeah. I want to buy a Juju jersey that says TikTok boy on the back. <laughs> yeah, AJ, I think I texted that to you. AJ called a body, absolutely oh, body bag Juju. <laughs> yeah, it very rarely, you know, three days, four days after the Super Bowl in which you lose, do you become the winner because he yeah. won it yesterday. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. And there's few people in the NFL that's as unlikable as Juju. He kind of fits with Mahomes, even though I, I give Mahomes a little bit of a – I don't hate him as much as the rest of the world does. And, don't but put him with his brother and, and wife. Don't put him with them. Yeah, yeah. I, I separate them because we all, you know, we're siblings. You can't – don't put. Don't yeah. let me pay for their sins. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's my thoughts on the Super Bowl. Um, I thought I got my money's worth. You know, it yeah. kind of felt me felt like it was uh, – well, kind of felt like it was over too quick. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I was wanting that Philadelphia drive, you know, for the I wanted to go to overtime. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, uh, all things considered, I felt like it put a great bow on the, on the NFL season and, uh, yeah. we get to move on to college baseball now, but before, uh, you want to talk about the Grizzlies? They did make a trade since our last Yep. Our last podcast. Uh, I do bef- before it gets too far away, though. I do want to acknowledge the Memphis Grizzlies are currently shooting 52% from beyond the arc right now in a game against the Jazz. We are 10 for 19, which absolutely never happens, and we are beating the hapless Jazz currently 57 to 39. Uh, and one Jaron Jackson Jr. is four for six from beyond the arc tonight, and only has one foul at almost halftime. So shout out Jaron Jackson Jr. for not fouling people. Yeah, he's got to do better, but. The problem with Jaron Jackson Jr. is he doesn't foul in games like this in which we're the obvious. It's like right. he gets too wound up for big games, nationally televised games, games that have playoff atmospheres. That's yeah. when he goes crazy with the fouls. Like oh, you mean like six Sunday, fouls in 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, Sunday against Boston, in which they 
you know, they were playing Mike Muscala and Al Horford. And so, you know, that's another another instance in which you've played a team that shot career highs from three again. So, you know, you keep we keep talking about that on this podcast. It keeps coming up. But like at some point, like, yeah, we're getting these teams on their career shooting nights. Or is it that our perimeter defense is allowing that? Because, again, like if it happens once or twice, you catch teams on hot nights. But when it's happening game after game after game, it, you know, watching that C's game on Sunday, we were trying to switch on too many screens. Nobody was fighting through any screens, and it was leaving these guys wide open. And, sure, Derek White or Mike Masala, they're not going to hit these every night. But they were hitting them that night. And so at some point, you got to stop switching. And Jason Tatum was having an awful night. A lot of credit to Dylan Brooks because Dylan held him to 16 points. And if you can hold Jason Tatum, Jalen, Jason, uh, Jason Tatum, Tatum to you. Thank yeah. you, Jason Tatum. <laughs> I had a brain fart there for a second. Too many words. To 16 points, you're doing something. But what was happening is because he wasn't scoring, he would drive and kick out. We had too many times that we were crashing the lane and leaving the perimeter wide open. It's another example of our perimeter defense not being good. And that's why teams keep having career nights against us because our perimeter defense is not that good right now. Right. You let any NBA player stand alone, they're going to hit 40% of their threes, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you hold Jason Tatum to that kind of game, that's the game plan. You know, you know, if you yeah. played Boston, they were down Jalen Brown, they were down Marcus Smart, they were down right. – uh, who am I missing? Um, anyways. That was the main were, ones. They were down their three of their best players and um, Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, Malcolm uh, Brogdon. That's right. They were down three of their best players, and you hold Jason Tatum to, I believe it was three of 16 from the field, something like that. You think you're running away with that, uh, but instead you got huge nights from Horford, from Muscala, from Peyton Pritchard. I mean, it was just it was frustrating, and they showed a lot of character coming back in that game because they were down 13 at the half, uh, and they came back and took the lead, I believe, in the third quarter. And then let it slip away again later because they started shooting fireballs again. But anyways, we can we can talk about that. I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, The trade deadline came and went. Uh, Turns out that teams like boss, uh, I'm sorry, like Toronto and like Chicago that we thought might be sellers ended up being buyers and they were not going to get rid of anything. So the Grizzlies settled with shipping out Danny Green and his, uh, broken legs and three second round picks to the Clippers for Luke Kennard, who is the best three point shooter in the NBA last year. So, um, I thought you got him for virtually nothing. And that is an A plus in my opinion. It wasn't the splash that everybody wanted. You know, it wasn't OGN and OB or, or Mikael Bridges, but it was an amazing three point shooter on a day in a trade deadline in which nobody was that asking price was too high on everybody. Yeah. I think it was a good example of playing around the fringes, making a move to address a need, but not going all in and pushing all your chips in. That's not saying we didn't try. Cause all the reports are coming out that we oh, tried we for tried. Kevin Durant. We tried for Mikhail bridges. We tried for several uh, for OG shout out Zach Kleiman. He was making phone calls and trying to make those moves, but I'm, on this end of it, I'm proud that we didn't push the envelope and really hamstring ourselves for the future. What it shows is we're truly following that Spurs model where we're going to 
grassroots build this thing. I believe we're going to make a trade this offseason when the asking prices come down a little bit because it's, you don't have that captive audience. Maybe at the draft like we normally do, we'll pick up somebody. I really believe we're going to. But now that we're a little bit removed, I'm not as emotional about it. I appreciate Kleiman's discrepancy and patience with the process and not overpaying for somebody like OG when you might be able to get him or somebody similar in the offseason on a better deal. Yeah. Um, like you said, Zach Kleiman did have a press conference and he said, we tried. And he then leaked out what exactly we did, what trying meant. And trying yeah. meant he offered four first-round picks for Mikael Bridges after he was shipped to Brooklyn in the Kevin Durant trade. And he offered three first-round picks for OGN and OB. And he offered every pick that we have and pick swaps for Kevin Durant. And so he tried, and he leaked that out so he knows, one, I'm being serious. We're not. We're here to win. We're here to win now. And two, none of those trades included players. So he can't. He had nothing to lose by saying, "This is what I offered." Because if he would have done that, and Dylan Brooks was part of the offer, then you're losing Dylan Brooks's buy-in. You know. Mm-hmm. And so he can say whether it's honest or not. I gave everything I had to make a run this year and for next year, making our window bigger right now and i did that while keeping every player on the roster that we have and so it ended he took big swings and uh i guess props for for saying no when instead of keeping on you know offering more but because four first round picks from mikhail bridges well i do believe mikhail bridges is incredible Nah, it's not for four first round picks. I would have been a little no. hesitant about say with that if that would have been the deal and we would have gotten Mikael Bridges and given up four picks, I would not have yeah. been over the moon because I don't yeah. know that Mikael Bridges, while awesome, he's not a superstar. He's a role player. Right. You know, that's you make that kind of deal for Kevin Durant, that makes a little bit more sense. But I, I agree. I, I think uh while I wanted to make a move, make a splash, because I do think we have the potential this year. I think our current team, like I think our ceiling is probably a second round, maybe conference championship. We're still the second overall seed. We still have the talent, but the West got a lot deeper and a lot harder. Um, yeah, we, I, think, I think we'll make a move, but it's just yeah, I, I appreciate that we didn't mortgage the farm and we still have an opportunity to continue to build and grow. Yeah, we we got we're no longer the second best team in the West. I believe that if everything works out, which is a big if, if everything works out with um, the Suns, they're better than us. I believe that the Nuggets are better than us. They have been all year. They didn't make a single move, but they're better than us. I believe that the Lakers are much scarier now. All they have to do is play games. And Kyrie being in Dallas, I mean, they've always been a problem with us, but I don't I, they're zero and two when Luke and Kyrie start together, and so I don't think that makes them better. They've got the name cachet. I'm still nervous because Luca dominates us now. You know, you theoretically add the best point guard in the last fifteen years on the team. You know, it shouldn't make you less scary. So, I believe we got better marginally, 
but I also believe that the West around us got a lot better. Yeah, and with the Kyrie thing, the Mavs, the only reason it is a little bit less intimidating is they used to throw Spencer Dinwiddie at, at Ja, and he had the size that Ja really couldn't handle. Kyrie ain't that much bigger than Ja, and so I think it makes us match up a little bit better. You take Luka's best shot, and you just defend everybody else, because you know Luka's going to score 30 against us every time we play him. You take that best shot, and I think we are still a better team than the Mavericks, but you're right, man, that – you know, the Lakers get to that, say we are finishes the two or three seed and your first round draws the Lakers. That's a little bit that's tougher terrifying. than what it was two or weeks worse. ago. <laughs> or worse. I mean, yeah. Phoenix is sitting at like, what, six or seven in the conference right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I really need is to stay the two, three, and I want Sacramento yeah. to stay the two, three. I don't care yeah. back and forth. If they go up to two and we go up to three, that's fine. I would like a second round matchup with Sacramento more than I would like. Yeah. You know, a second round matchup yeah. with Denver. I mean, with uh, yeah, Denver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and like, give me. I, I still think we got to be the two seed. We're so much better at home, so much better at home that we need home court advantage until the conference finals. And so, I agree. If we start falling more than that, we're screwed, and our ceiling might become the first round. But uh, give us that two three seed, which I'm not going to say is not in the realm of possibilities. We're still a very good basketball team. We don't have to play Phoenix anymore. Like we've already played them enough. We're done playing Phoenix. They're not on our schedule for the rest of the year. We wouldn't see them again into the playoffs. And so our, our, our schedule is definitely daunting, but I think it's, it's doable to stay that two, three seed. So if you look at the two seed, the first round matchup would be against the seven seed, which would be um, the first team that gets out of the play-in tournament. Right now, that play-in tournament is New Orleans, Minnesota, Golden State, Utah. Utah will certainly drop out. Below them is Portland, OKC, and L.A. If L.A. puts it together, you're looking at a first-round matchup with possibly Golden State, L.A., or Portland. I mean, I'll take Portland, but don't give me Golden State or L.A. in the first round. No, no, because Golden State – has our number in the playoffs, and LA's just got a whole lot better. <laughs> Give me Minnesota. That's who I want. <laughs> Let's so. go. We'll be, all right. Yeah. I could sit here and talk playoffs uh, or NBA all night, but we need to get Let's talk, to yeah. the reason why we're all here tonight. We're going to get to college baseball, yes. and uh, yes. you won't find two bigger college baseball fans than Rusty and myself, and it is unfortunately a sport that is not really consumed uh, by everybody, although I do believe it's consumed by a lot of people in our region. And so maybe we get to talk about college baseball a lot and may get some new fans out of it. And if not, then I hope that all of our current listeners uh, are huge college baseball fans because we're going to talk about it. So Absolutely. And, you, and if you listen, you got to listen to us. So, yeah. so <laughs> This is our uh, show. Yeah. So, uh, Rusty, where do you want to start with college baseball? Um, I know we kind of talked about some of the rule changes. Let's go through that first, kind of set the scene for what college baseball is going to look like, and then we can do a little bit of a preview on our two favorite uh, uh, college teams and kind of talk about the SEC from a high level and just kind of set the stage for, you know, SEC play is still a long way away, but we can at least kind of talk about what the conference is going to look like to get our casual fans, uh, listeners ready for the season. Okay. Well, let's start here. I, I messaged you yesterday. And I told ask you if you had seen the college baseball rule changes, and uh, you had said no. I'm, it kind of started making more rounds today, as so you may have seen it now. Um, and so, 
in an effort to shorten the games, make the games faster, uh, first, they have implemented the 10-run rule in the SEC, in SEC play. That's always been the case in out-of-conference play, but now you've got an SEC play. Um, I'm not a big fan of that, uh, I'll be honest with you. You can give me your take in a minute. Nine innings just seems to be – that's the standard. That's the – that's the way things should be done and the way things have been done. And, you know, I'm not a big traditionalist, but, you know, in SEC play, it's more fun to beat the crap out of your opponents than it is when you're playing Southeast Missouri State. So I'm cool with ending those games after seven. But if we're dominating Florida by 14 runs, I want that game to last as long as possible. So um, I'm not a big fan of that one. What do you think about the 10-run rule in SEC play? Not a big fan. I agree. When you're on that side of it, it's not a lot of, you know, it's awesome. You just, let's drag this thing out. Right. But last year we lost, we lost to Tennessee 27 to four. And that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and so from that perspective, I understand. I agree. Overall, no, I don't care for the rule. Let this thing play out. Crazy things happen. Find a way to get out of the game. That's part of it. Uh, you know, we sit there. Uh, all that to say, we took our beating last year in yeah. Tennessee. Uh, I think they scored 20 runs on us two out of the three games. So you take yeah. your stripes, you move on to the next one, right? They they beat the piss out of us last year too. But um, baseball does have a problem when it comes to college baseball, especially when it comes to length of games. I believe, and I I think you were wanting to talk about this later, uh, but this. This is going to try to fix the problem that you see. And the problem that you have and are probably going to talk about is the fact that these games are not nationally televised enough. And I do agree with you. The problem with them not being – the reason why they're not nationally televised enough is because the dang games last four and a half hours. And you can't schedule them. TV TV companies, ESPN, can't schedule these because one game may last three and a half hours, and the very next day it's going to last four hours and 45 minutes. And when you're scheduling out TV, you know, you want a 6 o'clock game, you want a 9 o'clock game, there's no way, there's no regularities to it. You look at the NFL, this is the same problem with college football. NFL games, you start the 12 o'clock slate on Sundays, Every game's at halftime at the same time, and every game ends at the same time. It's a they've got it down to a science when it comes to getting the games going and getting them over. College has a big problem with that. College baseball has a big problem with that. And so the blowouts, sure, I would love to watch nine innings of Ole Miss just beating Mississippi State like a redheaded stepchild for, you know, we'll extend the game, you know, make it 20 innings if we're up by 10 plus runs. I'm cool with that. However, I get what they're trying to do. And they're also trying this in another way, which is the rule change that I wanted to talk to you about. And they are implementing a pitch clock. And this pitch clock was, has, has been going on for a couple years now. However, it was common knowledge that nobody even paid attention to it. They had a 20-second clock for when there were no runners on base. And if you didn't get it within 20 seconds, nobody cared. They just come common knowledge that they were not going to pay attention to it. But now they've cracked down. And you know how the SEC does and how sporting, you know, sporting rule makers do. They do points of emphasis when it comes to start of the season 
and they've made this a point of emphasis. So not only is it when runners are not on base, but it's when runners are on base. And it's also they're going to have a clock for when coaches come out to for a mound visit. And the time in between when the the ball is in play by the batter and then out is made or a dead ball is called to when the next pitch starts. Everything is going to be timed. And if the pitcher does not execute, does not start his windup before clock hits zero, then a ball will be issued. And same way, if a, if a batter is not in his stance with five seconds on the clock ready to hit a baseball, a strike will be issued. And this is where I understand what they're doing, but for the first, for non-conference play especially, you're going to get a lot of crucial at-bats in which balls and strikes are called because of the pitch clock. And it'll have nothing to do with execution of the pitch or the batter's execution. You know, it'll just be because of a pitch clock. You know, bases loaded, crunch time situation late in the game, and you get ball four because you don't start your wind up quick enough is just going to be a kick to the stomach. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I do have a beef with ESPN not televising any of these games. The the highest that it's on is on the SEC or the ESPN Plus or SEC Plus, where you actually have to pay for a subscription to ESPN to see them. Uh, none of them will be really nationally televised until the the regionals, until we start getting the playoff time. So I understand that this is an effort to try and get to that. I think it's a bit extreme for a first step. Some of these coaches, if that 30 seconds starts when they start up the steps of the dugout, some of these coaches ain't making it to the mound until there's probably eight seconds left on that clock. I know Mike Bianco is famous. When he's got an arm in the pen warming up, he will crawl <laughs> to the mound. He will mound. amble. Yeah. Now, Tommy Vitello at Tennessee, who wants to go up there and chest bump some of them umpires, he'll get there a little quicker. Yeah. But – you imagine telling Augie Guerrero, the famous coach at Texas, that you got 30 seconds to get out to the mound and talk to your pitcher. He <laughs> He's going to tell you where you can put that 30 seconds. He'll second. spit on you, yeah. That's and it. I don't – let me be clear. If this – so in minor league, let me just frame it this way. Minor leagues, they did this last year, except they did a 16- and an 18-second clock, so even quicker than this. They shorted their game times by roughly 25 to 30 minutes. And if that is the if that's the outcome, I think that's a good thing. The problem is is getting used to it. And yeah. in college especially, when you have let's be honest, even in the SEC, when you get into those middle innings, sometimes those pitchers are not great with command. And you you're struggling with finding your rhythm, finding the strike zone, and then on top of that, you've got to add You've got a shot clock on you. You know, this thing could get squirrely quick early on. You've got to, it takes an extra level of preparedness and an extra level of mental toughness to not only not be able to stand on the mound and take a breath and collect yourself before pitch, but be in that situation and know you've got to hurry, you know? Yeah, especially early season, like you're saying, these non-conference games. you got these freshman kids that are out there pitching on the stage for their first time because this is where you're going to try and find out what you have in your bullpen, what you what you have in arms. And so 
by now you know who your starters are and who you can count on, but this is where we're going to see a lot of freshmen and, and Juco transfers and first-time players playing at Duty Noble and playing at the box and playing at Swayze Field in front of you know fans they haven't played before and, and you know large crowds. And so add on top of that, the pressure of having to get it done on a quick time, I, I think it's going to there's going to be some growing pains. If the end product is more nationally televised games and a bigger brand for college baseball, I don't hate it. Um, I'm just curious how it's really going to be implemented and what it's going to look like. And we'll know within the first few weeks of how, you know, how much is really going to change the game. And hopefully by the time we start SEC play, most of the bugs will be worked out. Right. Anything that will shorten the game and make it more watchable from a television point of view is a good step. And a lot of this, you're like, you're right. You may think it's a, the first step is too harsh and maybe you're right. And they'll meet in the middle you know, next year when they're, they'll slack off on it when con- when conference play gets here. But anything that can shorten these games and make them more watchable for just the general public and the mm-hmm. the baseball fans that don't ex- don't necessarily love college baseball. Right. You know, if you can rope those folks in, shortening yeah. the games will go a long way to do that. Yeah, I agree. You know, the the fans who just watch the football and basketball games and would only watch Ole Miss or State if we were in a Super Regional or Omaha, maybe you draw those guys in because they don't have to give up four and a half hours. Baseball junkies like you're, you, you and me, you know, we would sit there and watch it or whatever. But getting those fans in is how you build a national brand. So if that's the end goal, then I'm for it. Right. So we're going to uh, we're going to start talking about our teams now. So uh, as a whole, that was the biggest story that I've gotten to uh, that I've seen so far going into the season. And so uh, let's just you go first. Uh, Tell me what you think about Mississippi State's baseball team, what your expectations are going into it and maybe who you think the biggest difference maker is. Yeah. So Mississippi State Bulldogs obviously had a rough year last year. We finished dead last in the West. Uh, had a horrible showing last year. As I've joked on this podcast many times, we took a victory lap. I think we're going to be better this year. Our offseason was good. The transfer portal was really good to us this year. Uh, we also have the second-ranked freshman incoming freshman class by D1 Baseball. I think our team got a lot better this offseason. Transfers like Colton Ledbetter, who was the SoCo Conference, Southern Conference uh, Tournament MVP last year for the Sanford Bulldogs. Uh, he was ranked the fifth best transfer by D1 Baseball. He's a two-year starter at Sanford, career average 318, 57 RBIs last year. He's a he's a solid contact hitter, going to man the outfield for us. Another rowdy Jordan, Jordan type. He was a double-digit home run guy last year, but he's more of that one-two hole that just gets on base. Uh, Landon Gartman, transfer uh, sophomore from Memphis, 7-1 and one last year. He's got some nasty off-speed stuff, velocity mid to low 90s. I think our impact players are going to come from transfers. Nate Dawn from Ball State uh, is coming in as a middle reliever, but I think the biggest impact transfer for us outside of Colton Ledbetter is going to be Aaron Nixon from Texas. He was a freshman all-Big 12 closer, and the Big 12 is like the SEC. It's a baseball-crazy conference, and a guy like that wins freshman of the year, uh, freshman All-American or freshman All-Conference as a closer now he's in miss he's at mississippi state we actually faced him four times in 2021 his freshman year uh three times two times in regular season two times in the college world series went three and one against him and his roommate kellen clark won't let him live that down but offense is going to be good for us this year mississippi state's biggest question is our pitching 
we don't have the Landon Sims. We don't have a Will Bednar. We don't have a Hootie walking through that that dugout. You know, your starters are likely going to be some combination of Cade Smith, Casey Hunt, maybe this transfer Davis that came in, maybe Dawn from Ball State. But pitching is where we're going to really we're going to have to see Chris Limonis's creativity to create a starting rotation that can get you to what's a pretty good bullpen. Bullpen has got some talent. We've got some young talent that's going to be helpful. We got some guys who can who can throw the ball pretty hard. Parker Stanett's coming back from an injury. I think he'll be a good setup man for us. We're just going to live and die by our pitching. And you and I both know when you get to Omaha, that's what matters. Like you can hit the baseball all you want. Ask Tennessee, you're going to run out of steam if you can't pitch. Right? Last year they ran out of steam because they couldn't pitch. We can pitch from the bullpen. It's just. Lamona said in his in his press conference this past week, like we've got to get to the sixth inning. That's our target. If we can get to the sixth inning, we've got some arms that can get us the rest of the way. We just have to get quality starts. And so starting the season with some non-conference, uh, that's going to be helpful. Our season is very much front-loaded with some easy games. Uh, and then we play six of the top 10 nationally ranked preseason teams uh, from March 24th through May 20th. So we get to that point, we're going to have some stuff figured out. Um, well, we got some power coming back in Hunter Hines, double-digit home run guy. Kellum Clark is back from a broken hand. He got in the Cape Cod League, hitting the ball really well so far this spring. Got an opportunity to be pretty good. I think we're going to be better. We're picked to finish dead last in the SEC West, and um, I think there's some teams that are going to be worse than they were last year. I'm looking at you, Alabama and Auburn. I don't think we're going to finish dead last in the SEC West. Well, I tell you what, I uh, haven't heard a longer – preview for a team that finished last in the SEC West in my whole life. <laughs> oh, I got. I could. I could have kept going, but I didn't want to put our audience to sleep just yet. Yeah, but I'll uh, be honest. Uh, because I'm not a hater, unlike Rusty. I don't look for ways <laughs> to just dog Mississippi State. I don't cheer for them, but good mm-hmm. Lord knows there's things I hate more. Um, you're right. State's too good of a program to finish last two years in a row. Uh, um, I don't know what happened last year, honestly. Uh, they were terrible all year. I want to say the only series they won in the SEC last year was against Ole Miss, and um, yeah, it was. Yeah, y'all haven't, y'all haven't won. We haven't lost a series to Ole Miss in like five or six years. Yeah, but well, we haven't lost a series in year. Omaha since 2014. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there you go. Well, for us last year was it was it was injuries for the biggest thing last year. Just to answer your question, we had we lost Landon Sims, Parkerson at Stone Simmons in the same weekend series, second weekend of the season against Tulane. And the rest and, of the season derailed. And when your gut tells you to uh, enjoy your spoils from the first year, <laughs> from the previous year, and then in the first weekend you lose your three best players, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're just nature's going to take over at that point. So take a lap. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, well, my rebels are playing this weekend too, and uh, we start our title defense Friday against the Blue Hens of Delaware. And uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've told you on this podcast. I've told you in person. I've told anybody that that uh, has asked me. The best part about winning the national championship last year is that I did it with folks that I loved. You, you know, you had four-year starters and Kevin Graham and Justin Bench and Tim Elko. And so all three of those are gone. You lost your Friday night guy. You lost – the most dominant pitcher in Omaha, uh, you lost him to the draft. You lost another starting pitcher to the draft. And so this team is not going to look familiar to me. There's familiar faces. You know, you've got 
arguably the best shortstop, the draft eligible shortstop coming back this year. Uh, and so you're going to build that team around Jacob Gonzalez. You're going to build it around senior Peyton Chatney. The middle of our infield is going to be our strength this year. Uh, they're the most steady hands that we've got. You know, Peyton being a four, this will be his fourth year as a starter. And Jacob Gonzalez being a three-year starter and a surefire top five draft pick uh, in April. And so that's what you're building around. Outside of that, you're looking at a lot of new guys, a lot of transfers. And uh, that starts with the Northwestern transfer, um, Anthony Calarco. Uh, he was a gra- he's a grad transfer, started for four years at Northwestern. Um, last year, uh, he hit 325 and with 13 home runs. He was all Big 12. Um, he is going to play first base for us. You know, he's going to play a position that nobody other than Tim Elko has played in four years. And that's big shoes to fill. And they got him. They went and got him. And he's the only option that they wanted at first base. And so that's who's going to get the nod uh, playing the corner, that corner infield position. Opposite corner from him is going to be a fellow named um, Ethan Ledge, who is another transfer. And uh, Ethan is a transfer from uh, community college. And so we've had luck with community college transfers last year. Uh, being the College World Series MVP was our pitcher that was a junior college transfer the year before. And so he's going to be a big addition for us. You don't really know what to expect when you're talking JUCO transfers. I mean, you might as well roll dice a lot of times. That's kind of how it works out. Uh, But your corner infield is changing, and you've got two transfers, one from Northwestern and one from Community College. And then outfield, uh, Kemp Alderman is still here. I look for him to have a huge year. He is a corn-fed Mississippi boy, and as big a boy as you'll find outside of my boy, uh, Taiwan Malone, who in the falls plays defensive tackle for Ole Miss. Uh, one of my favorite players. I really hope he gets some, some DH work because you're talking about a mammoth of a man to send into the batter's box. Just the biggest dude you'll ever find him. He led the team in exit velocity in the fall. I mean, in the spring. So, uh, I'm, that's my favorite. And that's who I'm hoping for. Another thing Ole Miss does not have this year is a stud defensive catcher. Uh, you look in years past with Cooper Johnson and uh, last year with Hayden Dunhurst. And it seems like Ole Miss has always got an elite defensive catcher that you do not want to run on. This year, we're starting... Um, shoot, I've just forgotten his name. Uh, here I am on the spot. Um, Calvin Harris. I mean, I should not forget his name. He hit the second of the three back-to-back-to-back home runs in the College World Series Finals this year. But Calvin Harris, not to be confused with the DJ that dated Taylor Swift. This is Calvin Harris from Illinois. Uh, he is a rock-solid, hit it anywhere you want batter. Uh, he played right field for us going down the stretch last year. He was incredible. He was monumental when it comes to that run that we made in Omaha. He's going back to his natural position, which is catcher. And so, he, to me, that's going to be one of the things defensively that I look at is how good is he behind the plate. Because we've been spoiled with catchers who are good at framing, 
who are good at picking off runners and can really command a defense, even though their bat it hasn't been great, you know, like Cooper Johnson and Hayden Dunhurst, have not been impressive with the stick, but, man, they can command a defense from behind the catcher's plate or from behind home plate. And so I look to see how he can do uh, commanding the defense. I know the stick's going to be there. Buy all the stock you want in him because he is going to be a stud, and he will hit for average. He will not strike out. He will walk. He'll hit a few dingers here and there, but he's just as solid as they come, fundamental hitter. Uh, and then you're yeah. – uh, go ahead. I was going to say, we can relate on that. You know, Mississippi State's in the same boat when we lose Logan Tanner, who is a, just a stalwart behind the plate, and we move over Luke Hancock back to his normal position. He's a veteran. He's savvy at the plate, very similar to Calvin Harris. And so we can relate on that, and I think that'll be a strength for both of our teams this year is that that presence behind the plate. Yeah. And um, you talked about pitching with Mississippi State being a question. Uh, we lost Dylan DeLucia, our ace. Uh, we never really had three starters. Uh, we rotated that third one, but we're going to start two transfer, or I'm sorry, a true freshman in Grayson Sonier, uh, who comes in, was highly recruited, uh, passed up the draft, uh, passed up the MLB to come to Ole Miss. He's as highly regarded as any pitcher has been since Gunnar Hoagland uh, when he got to campus. It was kind of a shock. So he's going to, Mike's going to give him the ball to start. He's the only true freshman that started opening weekend other than Gunnar Hoagland and Mike Bianco's 22 years in Ole Miss. Hmm. So he, he's got to like him. And then we're going to start uh, Javier Rivas, who is a junior college transfer, a lefty. Um, he's going to start on Sunday, and he's going to hand the ball to Hunter Elliott, who is obviously going to be the Friday night guy for us this year. He was incredible in Omaha. He was incredible down the stretch. He's going to be a true sophomore from Tupelo, Mississippi. Um and just he was a he was a snub in all SEC teams going into it. He was as solid as they came down the stretch that season. Um, and so I look to have a very good record on Friday this year, like we did last year. Last year the problem was just we couldn't win Saturday and Sunday. And so I look for Hunter Elliott to do it. And we've also we lost our best reliever uh, to Tommy John surgery. Josh Mallets uh, is down. Uh, he he had offseason Tommy John surgery, so just really all of our arms all together is is a question mark outside of Hunter Elliott. Um, you've got, uh, you know, you've got Jack Doherty who threw five innings of uh, five innings of perfect baseball in Game One in the College World Series Finals. Uh, you're just kind of having to save him for relief duty because you don't really have anyone else you trust there with no mallets. And so we'll see how it works out. Uh, like you said, uh, lots of new faces. Uh, if you depend on recruiting rankings, whether it be transfer port or high school recruiting rankings, uh, you have a reason to be confident. If you're an Ole Miss fan, uh, you've got a coach that's proven he can do it now, you know, and last year was his best job as a coach, just X's and O's and just as a leader of a program when it comes to keeping the kid's head on straight and not letting them give up and so he's got a chance with basically a blank slate here you know you won the national championship and then you lost the heart and soul of the team and all of the guys that you were really counting on and so he's got a blank slate here and you like the players you wish you had the old players but you like the players they brought in and now it's just exciting to see what they're going to do for you you know i'm going to be unbiased i think Ole miss is going to be one of the top teams in the West again this year. I think that 
Ole Miss is a top 15 talent. Uh, preseason top 10 might be a little high, but I, I mean, I think a top 15 finish by the end of the year is very, very feasible in a conference. that's going to be pretty good this year. We'll get into that more as we get closer to conference play, but uh, Ole Miss is a scary offense. You've got some guys that can really hit. Swayze Field is always a tough place to go play. Uh, I just I think Ole Miss and State will be vying for one of the top seeds in the West, though they picked both of us a little bit further down, giving a lot of credit to A&M and Arkansas, who I'm not. I mean, Arkansas is always good during the regular season, but I don't buy them come uh, playoff time. Um, but I think Ole Miss is going to have a very good baseball team this year, and I think the West, the SEC West is going to go through Oxford and Starfield once again this year like it should, and I'm, I'm excited to see what this baseball season is going to look like for both of us. Yeah, I uh, I do believe that Ole Miss is in the top half of the West, and if you're just talking about any division in college baseball, that doesn't sound like a good thing to be. It's like, oh, you're shooting for top half of the SEC West. Well, yeah, that's that's means you're an incredible team if you're in the top half of the West because LSU, they did just lose one of their weekend starters to Tommy John, mm-hmm. but they are going to be – Really good, good this year. Arkansas is always really good. <clears throat> Auburn, Butch Thompson to put together an incredible program there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did lose the SEC Player of the Year in Sony Deshera, but uh, they're always good. A and M always A&M's has players. Really good. They've kind of got a Jimbo Fisher thing going with them, though. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and maybe that's unfair because they did make it to the Final Four of the College World Series this year, but um, they're always solid. So if you tell me all this finishes. Uh, fourth in the West at, you know, 17 and 13 record. Like, I'll take that. That's an incredible season. Yeah. Uh, same way with State. If you, if you as a Mississippi State fan, were guaranteed 15 and 15, would you take it? Yeah. Okay. Especially that, after last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that uh, you can't always in the West look at the records. I mean, look at Ole Miss. They finished 14 and 16 in the West last year. I mean, in the yeah. SEC last year. And so – just get into the tournament, do what you can. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. Everybody does. And if you don't, then you're probably Tennessee, and you'll get beat by Notre Dame in the Supers. That's right. The last number one overall seed going into the uh, college baseball playoffs to win a national championship was the 0-1 Miami Hurricanes. Oh, I was going to, I was going to ask if it was South Carolina that second year they went back to back, but. They weren't the number one overall seed going in. The last one was the 01 Miami Hurricanes, and Tennessee got bit by that last year. Even Alabama, like Alabama's getting better every year. They're still not a great team, but it's mostly because they're in the SEC West. And it's just like in college football. If you're in the top three or four of the SEC West, you had a really good season. And right. that's going to get you. You're going to, if you're the top three or four seed in the SEC West, you're likely hosting a regional. You're also very likely hosting a super regional. And Absolutely. we all know that plays a huge, huge part in playoff uh, postseason success. And so Unless you're I'm excited, Ole man. Ole Miss yeah, has never sure. won a home Super Regional. So. There you go. <laughs> I, I was at one uh, in Starkville in 07 when we beat Clemson. It was one of the hottest days of my life. It was 103 degrees before the heat index, and we beat Clemson and go to Omaha. We had no business going to Omaha in 07 with Wes Ray as our best hitter. But anyway, uh, yeah, man, baseball season's here. It's back. We've got some – Good teams that I think are going to make some noise this year, and I really like our chances of making some deep postseason runs, both in Oxford and in Starville. So uh, before we wrap it up, give me one player. So if 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 Mississippi State has an incredible season, a season that you hope mm-hmm. for, what's the one player that's going to make the difference? What if I could tell you 
the stats of one player to decide whether you have a good season or a bad season. Who do you think it's going to be? I want one player to look at for state this year. So I've got, can I give you, I got two, cause I've been thinking about two. this a lot. I've got two. I got two. Colton Ledbetter, the Sanford transfer kid can hit kids, a phenomenal outfielder. He's going to play left or center, very likely center for us and slate Alford. He's a sophomore. He had kind of a yeah, what a baseball I mean, name. Of course, he's had a, a rough player. <laughs> right. Had kind of a rough freshman year, but he was the wooden bat league MVP this past fall. Really spent a lot of time in the cage hitting baseballs. He's going to step in for Cameron Jones at third base. Colton Ledbetter, Slate Alford. If they have big seasons, I know Hunter Hines, some of those guys will, but if those two guys can really develop this year, that they it, if we win, it'll be because those guys develop. Yeah. Well, I'll give you two then. And before I give you my two, you know who the uh, SEC player of the year last year was, Sonny DeShera. You know where he transferred from? Samford. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. That's so right. Your Ledbetter fella was teammates with uh, last year's SEC player of the year, uh, Sonny DeShera. Going back to back. Going yeah. back to back. SEC players of the year. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking you're – talking, Guys that look like defensive linemen hitting bombs. I got one, and then Sonny DeShera last year for Auburn. I mean, dude yeah. was just looked like Jim Tomey, yeah. except he had like 60 more pounds on him. Right. Um, for me, uh, Grayson Sonia, the uh, the true freshman, uh, everybody knows to win an SEC series, which is what it's about. You can, as long as you win two, you're doing fine, but you're going to have to have two pitchers. And this guy's a stud. And he may be slow coming along. He is a true freshman. If you tell me that he is really good, then I have all the faith in the world that we're gonna we're gonna win 17, 16, 17, 18 games the SEC this year because I have that much confidence in Hunter Elliott on Friday nights. Second, um, like I told you, my boy, my corn-fed brother, um, um. How am I doing this? I watch these people play. Kemp Alderman. I've got too many tabs open up. I'm trying to read. And I'm not just talking. <laughs> My boy Kemp Alderman, who has – he occupies the right-handed batter's box just about as impressively as anybody else. You're talking All about just – the batter's box. <laughs> yeah. He is a big boy. And mm-hmm. you talk, I watched him walk through the hotel, go into uh, the stadium – going to uh, uh, Charles Schwab Stadium in Omaha, and he had the biggest dip in his mouth, and he was, hey, y'all, to everybody. I mean, he looked like a guy that I went to high school with, but he can swing it. And so if he can hit for average and hit for power, he's always hit for power, and he's been a line drive machine and can get one out in a hurry. But if he can cut down on the strikeouts and be an anchor in the middle of your lineup, then I like our chances with him as well. So those are the two guys. Um, Grace and Sonia and Kemp Alderman, that's who I'm looking at. If I can have their stats at the end of the year, I'll tell you how Ole Miss did. And don't forget, you're going to get some TikTok videos out of Shotney there at second base. So, I mean, he doesn't do it. I mean, listen, I don't like TikTok just as much as the next 30 year old. Like, I can't stand it. It's the bane of my existence. And, and nothing irks me more than when you send me TikTok videos of Peyton Chatney. But it's not him. He's not Juju out there on his own personal account. That's the Ole Miss baseball account trying to appeal to young folks. And he's the one willing to do it. I mean, he's the one that's got the he personality. He could say no. 
He could Hoodie say though. no, but that's all. I, that's all. I, all I'm saying. I didn't say anything bad. I just said you're gonna get some TikTok videos. Hey, and you know what? It's working because you know who sends me those TikTok videos every time? My wife. It works. <laughs> okay. There you go. So the, the marketing go. works with him. So uh, if you're wanting to reach uh, 18 to 35 year old women, then uh, I would say Peyton Chatney is the guy you want. He's a handsome dude with uh, with nice long hair. And if you can get him dancing on TikTok, I mean, it's a grand slam. <laughs> I guess so. But uh, Uncle Buck, great show tonight, man. It's a good way to, a good place to wrap it up. There'll be plenty more college baseball content coming, plenty more opportunities to talk about our favorite teams. Just excited that it's back and that we actually can talk about it and hopefully help be a part of growing that market. And maybe that's our niche, man, that takes us to the next level here at the Two Buck Sports Podcast. And be forewarned, uh, fellow listeners, when – Ole Miss and Mississippi State go 3-0 and this weekend against the Sisters of the Poor that we play. We will not temper our expectations at all. <laughs> nope, <laughs> not week, one bit. We will fight over who is best and who's going to win <laughs> the College World Series based off of three games against Delaware and some military and institute. Virginia Military Institute, BMI. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Do not expect cautious half measures here. We are all or nothing, and we will always be all or nothing. So absolutely. I'm going to book my hotel in Omaha based on this three and O sweep of VMI. You just wait. Well, let me tell you, as somebody who went to Omaha last year, there were a fair share of Tennessee and LSU fans there because they booked early. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing was better than seeing uh, that, that awful orange walking around the streets of Omaha, knowing that they didn't even get to show up. Just being sad for sure. But yeah, as always, give us a follow at the number two bucks sports pod on Instagram and Twitter. Look us up two bucks sports podcast on Facebook. Uh, we are going to get the blog going again. We've both been pretty busy. I had a CrossFit competition. Drew's been working his tail off, keeping the power on for Tippa County and all its fine citizens. Uh, and so the blog will be coming back as we continue going. But Uncle Buck, great episode tonight, man. I enjoyed it as always. Hey, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it doing this and uh we really enjoyed the interaction i we did say that we would shout out the first person that did a uh that commented gave us a review on apple podcast and uh because we're such a homegrown podcast uh my good buddy matt graves who i met just a few weeks ago uh playing church music at uh at a church uh that me and Haley helped lee worship in a few weeks ago uh Matt Graves is a drummer extraordinaire that I met, and so because we uh, we know all of our listeners at this point, he texted me and was like, hey, <laughs> I left you a review. And I'm like, all right, cool, I'll go read it. And so uh, <laughs> his uh, his Apple podcast name is Gravy26, and so Gravy26 oh, so good. left us a five-star review and a comment, and we appreciate that. Uh, Matt Graves, I hope you hear this and uh, get a big chuckle out of it while you work out. Why you work tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. So. And we'll definitely keep giving out shout outs because we don't have a ton of reviews right now. So we'll keep giving <laughs> shout outs as long as we're getting them. Yeah. So until we can't feel until it takes too long to read them, we'll read all of them. So absolutely. All right, guys. Rusty, I said guys as if I'm talking to the audience. Okay. Now I am talking to the audience. Guys, I have enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast and Rusty. I enjoyed doing the podcast with you. I will see you again next week. Yes, sir. Be good. I'm always good.